Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Going for Two, the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I am the publisher of said newsletter, your host, Matt Brown. I am joined here by my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Brian Fisher. Brian, today we are going to talk about my ancestral land. Oh, not Brazil, not not Brazil, but Columbus. We're gonna we are gonna talk about the Big Ten. And I'm excited because this is going to be a good football league this year. It's got a, a gajillion off-the-field administrative storylines and intrigue and uh, a bunch of teams that aren't going to win the Big Ten that are still going to be interesting. I, I, it's going to be fun to watch, I think. I think on and off the field, it is going to be fantastic to follow the Big Ten this year, especially after you know a, a year removed from all the drama surrounding the league. You know, the the, the drama is just different now around the Big Ten. You know, it, it's not just uh, it's it's realignment. It is playoff talk. There's obviously the the on field uh, equation as well with Ohio State coming out of, off of the national title game loss. You have a host of programs trying to play catch up to the Buckeyes uh, around the league, and and it, it a ton of non conference games that let's face it are going to have a huge impact on the land landscape of college football in 2021. So I think there's there's no more, you know, when, when you talk about all these states of the league, uh, you know, really going to start with the Big Ten because there is a lot that flows through this league. Yeah, this is um, this is the league uh, more so than anybody other in the SEC that really kind of controls the, the, the tenor of college athletics, I think, both from institutional power and from finance and from large brands and from the storyline of, of the season and to what the college football playoffs going to look like, not just structurally, but what the teams are actually going to be uh, to help us break this down and, and to bring in a counterweight to my uh, horrifically biased uh, Buckeye scarlet uh, tinged glasses. We're going to bring in our friend, Nicole Arbach, just, just up the road here in Chicago of the athletic of BTN to help us make sense of what's actually happening here in this league. All right. Nicole, thank you so much for taking some time here to chat with us. Um, I, I recognize you're probably a little bit tired about talking maybe about a realignment or Kevin Warren or some of these structural things, but the news cycle doesn't really give us a chance to not talk about it. I, 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 why don't we start with you know the most recent report that came from you and a couple of your colleagues over at, at The Athletic about – this idea of an alliance, which is like the most Big Ten way of like describing this potential thing. It's it's a coalition. It's some it's some bright, you know, there's banners and it's very medieval. Um, what should people actually take away from this this talk? Is this just about voting rights for television? Is this something that is out of a message board fever dream? What 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 what, what how has this evolved? Well, first of all, I think we all need to agree to call it the alliance if okay. this happens, because it's pretty catchy. Um, my iPhone is already kind of autocorrecting it to that anyway, which could be due to the AAF, I like to think. <laughs> There's already logos made. We've already painted this yeah, on, on the football I, I, field I or something. Think, I just think it's really catchy. People picked it up pretty quickly. I think that's what we should call it. Um, okay. So I think we'll let, let's start with this idea of action and reaction, because I think when the SEC makes a power move and that is adding Oklahoma and Texas, the initial reaction from so many people in our world and fans and everyone else is, OK, now what? Who, who, how are how are other people going to react to this? And obviously the immediate concern is, OK, what about the rest of the Big 12? OK, what about the American? What about, you know, kind of those moving pieces? But really, we wonder what are checks and balances in this sport and in the college sports ecosystem. So if the SEC is consolidating more power in the southeast and getting to be the first mega conference of 16 teams. 
we need to know what is the Big Ten's response? What's the ACC's response? What's the Pac-12 going to do? And right away, almost from the day that the news broke, and everyone was stunned by it because people didn't know that this was a thing that was happening, I heard from people in all three leagues in administrator roles who said, I hope our league takes a deep breath, sits back, and evaluates what it has to do because I think we're in an okay spot. I don't think we have to do anything. I don't think, no offense to Kansas and and Baylor and all those schools, but they were like, you got to do the math. You got to see if there's enough value. Otherwise, it's just adding bodies. It's the same conversations we've now all had for three weeks. And there were people in those leagues that right away were starting to think about this from like a philosophical way. And they were like, listen, are we – you know, are we going to stay aligned with other schools that view college athletics as an enterprise the same way we do? And we, we've we heard this so much in the Big Ten, right, about this idea of an AAU school and this research institution and these things that people keep kind of laughing off but really matter to the presidents and the people within the Big Ten. The ACC, the Pac-12, like there are people who take the academic profiles of the schools very seriously or the fact that they're broad-based and they offer X amount of sports, Right. So there were people in all of those leagues that were talking about staying aligned. Like, I I don't know if I heard the word alliance right away, but the idea that these three conferences could possibly stay together, work together, stay aligned. And the, the way that someone framed it to me is if the SEC, again, potentially if they continue to try to grow and, and whatever, but even at 16 with adding two blue bloods, they could be the NFC and then the PAC 12, big 10 ACC could be the AFC. Like they're just, it's it's just a different lever. And I like to think of it as checks and balances because otherwise you just have the SEC going unchecked and controlling everything in college sports. Whereas, you know, obviously they're setting themselves up to chart their own course and to be in control of what they can control, but you do need something else. Like we, we had for so long, the big 10 and the SEC were foils for each other in Mike Slive and Jim Delaney. Like you need something in response to this power move. And I think there's a lot of people in those leagues that think that an alliance, whether that looks like scheduling, whether it's more, again, it kind of just contractual and it keeps them together. If it can create a voting block in terms of playoff expansion and the future NCAA governance model and whatever that might be, like there are people that think that this, that would be a significant enough move in response to the SEC. This isn't completely without precedent in the history of college athletics, as I understand it. I mean, you could you could describe what the old college football association as some measure of alliance and the Pac-12 and the Big Ten weren't weren't in that. But that was a a way to consolidate votes for certain financial interests. Um, That's kind of how I read this sort of thing. I I don't I don't know to, to how many other issues, I guess, other than playoff expansion or NCAA governance, where it matters to have. A, an, an opposing force. It's not like the SEC is like the USSR. They don't have nukes. Like it's not. It's not actual war. But maybe I'm misinterpreting what balance of power actually means. Right? And maybe in a world where the SEC brings in as much revenue as the rest of the NCAA, maybe that changes the paradigm a little bit. Which, which is what I believe USA Today did an estimate, and what was the year like 2025 that that would happen based yeah. on you know the SEC adding Oklahoma and Texas and readjusting some estimates. I mean that that definitely does change some things, but I, I think the idea of playoff expansion 
what that looks like when it is implemented and which media partners are involved is a massive, massive question, which, you know, is is worthwhile yeah. on its own. And then we have this NCAA constitutional convention coming up where they're, you know, and, and you know, Matt, we've discussed that we have some concerns about whether or not this will actually be like a full on overhaul. And like, yeah. do we trust the people who've been placed on this group to actually rethink things when they're kind of already part of the status quo? But theoretically, this is the group that could blow up the whole thing and say, we're going to do this entirely differently. This is what we think of should be for a national governing body. Here's what we think conferences should be responsible for. Here's what we think schools should be responsible for. Maybe sports are governed independently, right? Like there's all these, this stuff is floating up in the air. So when you think about a voting block, again, I know a lot of people aren't sure that necessarily like do the ACC's interests fully align? Like, do these leagues actually, you know, they're going to be loyal to themselves first? And are they, like, can you really trust that they would work together and continually vote aligned? Maybe there's future NIL stuff that there's alignment on. I mean, who knows? I think the idea is that strength in numbers and in like-minded interests. And they, they, you know, a lot of the schools in those conferences believe that they're like-minded. I also think that this, this, you know, the idea is, that you're doing something, but but you're not, um, you know, if you if you had full member, full time members, you're dividing the slices of your revenue pie by another body, right? You're 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 affecting all of these things, and especially if there aren't schools of the caliber of, um, you know, the the brand, the value, the the traditions of Oklahoma and Texas out there. You know, A, are you really going to dip below what you should, especially like let's say the Big Ten and they give out $55 million per school in the last non-pandemic year. You can't pick up a school that's worth less than $55 million a year. Otherwise, you're hurting your own members and they're not going to be down for that. So like instead of going after, you know, Notre Dame is contractually obligated to the to to the ACC if they join a conference, but there's no reason for them to join a conference because they have access to the playoff and all these other things, right? So if there's very few schools that are worth blowing up your league and adding a full-time member and they're not available, like you and you have to do something and you want to do something. That's why we're thinking we have people thinking a little bit more creatively. You also have three brand new commissioners, I think, which is important to note. Um, George Klopkoff has been on the job for like a month and a half. Kevin Warren, what, two years now? Um, Maybe a year and a half, actually. And then Jim Phillips, who, by the way, has worked in the Big Ten for a long time. So when you have someone, he obviously is in the ACC, but... When you're thinking about, okay, what would bring these leagues together? Um, You know, this is someone who has worked at schools that are similar to the schools that he now governs. So I I, I just think, I I know a lot of people have been making a lot of, a lot out of the idea of a scheduling alliance or the money or even the term alliance and like how serious that would mean. But I think this is an exploring relationships about alignment mostly and trying to set that up because you need to be on the same page to decide, okay, the playoff, we, you know, we either are cool with it being a 12 team format, but we want to delay this until 2026 because two of these conferences have significant media rights relationships with Fox and we want Fox to get in on this, et cetera, et cetera. So like, 
it, it's that stuff. It's it's kind of like it's it's almost more big picture than I think people are realizing because everyone's getting a little bit caught up in this idea of like, oh, would you just play one game a year and rotate that? I am begging the college football internet to kind of drive out of the ditch where we are busting out all of these different spreadsheets to break down whether Kansas or Iowa State is a more like financially viable entity for your league. Like that's we, we did all this in 2012, my dudes. Like that's that's it's it's, mis- it's missing the point. You did touch on something that I think is super interesting and fascinating about this entire everything that's happening is all the com- most of the conference commissioners outside of the SEC are new. And I know that Kevin Warren in Big Ten country among fans, not especially popular. And generally speaking, I think if you're a fan and you know your conference commissioner by name and face, it is probably not a good sign. Um, and and that this is this is a guy that got a lot of FaceTime in Big Ten country. But it's been a year. Do you think that he has repaired relationships with with Big Ten presidents and with these other communities? Is is he somebody that? If you care about the Big Ten, you should feel confident is the person in charge of this org- this league as it heads towards alliance building and, and other very big statecraft soundy things. I, I like the idea of like, you know, the what you just said, state stagecraft, statecraft, whatever, whatever. Sure. That's the most either, Michigan man way I could think about. Either, either one works there. <laughs> um, so it's a really interesting question because I don't think you could have walked into a worse situation oh, um, yeah. than having to try to determine whether or not to play a season and to have the backlash the way that you did, which you only really would have with someone that's brand new that didn't have relationships that the coaches and those um, administrators felt like they could do that. Um, And and with a bunch of new presidents too. With a bunch of new presidents. So actually that's where I wanted to start. There's been a ton of turnover in this league in the last year at the presidential level and at the athletic director level, which I actually think helps because then you start from scratch um, and you can build relationships. Also, since this time last year, which is right about when the Big Ten initially canceled the season, Kevin Warren's been able to go to a lot of campuses and actually spend time with the coaches and the athletic directors. I think the athletic directors, you know, part of the the issues last year was they felt like they weren't getting information. They and, and some of this was true and some of this was just they wanted to be involved in everything and there were decisions that were being made above their level. Right. Um, however, like I haven't really heard that complaint um, that athletic directors like don't know what's going on. Um, I think Barry Alvarez being a football liaison to the league is actually a really good idea and very helpful. That's someone obviously that everyone respects and will think is, you know, going to fight on behalf of the coaches. I, I actually am really entertained. Like I, I keep envisioning in my mind that like Barry's going to have to be like too involved. And on like Sunday mornings, get all these phone calls from coaches who want to argue about certain calls and stuff. I don't know what that role is going to look like. I'm not sure anyone does. I was up at Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. I was like, so like, is it an off season thing? Is it like plannings? And they're like, yeah, we'll do, see. Do you mean to suggest there's a world where administrator Barry Alvarez might find himself drawn to be taking a more hands-on role in a football product? That sounds preposterous. I think he should be the interim bowl coach for every single Big Ten school. Yes, all-time interim bowl coach. Yeah. So I I think that was a smart move. Um, I think that, you know, there's still – there's a lot of turnover in the league office. Kevin has been hiring a lot of new people, um, some who haven't worked in college sports. So there is a period of, like, literally – everyone is still getting to know each other. Um, I think that without some of the stressors, the major stressors of last year and the anticipation of a much more normal season, 
things seem a lot better. I think people also understand how he makes decisions more. So this idea of sitting back and looking for, um, you know, taking calls, vetting the situation about a potential like alliance or alignment makes a lot of sense to people now that they know Kevin Warren and how he operates and how, you know, kind of he absorbs information before making decisions. So, you know, again, I, I don't know. I know he's been asked a lot in the last year about repairing relationships, particularly in Lincoln, particularly in Columbus. And I think repairing relationships and communicating better has been a a major effort. Um, but I think that's still always going to be a work in progress, especially when you have a lot of turnover in the league office. And some of what rubs people the wrong way throughout the conference is just like a lack of institutional knowledge, which you know, that's just something you're always going to struggle with. Um, and I, I think, you know, especially when you are replacing someone who was such a force in the league and also within college athletics, like there was always going to be that period. Um, but I do think, you know, I, 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 again, I don't know if it's across the board with every single person, but I do think there's a, it definitely a more willingness um, to give Kevin Warren a chance to see what he does here with realignment, to see how he handles uh, playoff expansion. And again, I think the ADs feel like they're more in the loop and you know that ADs and coaches love to feel like they are in the loop and a part of decision-making. Speaking of decision-making, Kevin Warren basically came out and said, you know, when playoff expansion was, was the hot topic, even before realignment, he's going to listen, he's going to solicit that feedback. What in, in, in the big 10, what kind of is the anticipation in terms of the playoff and, and where do they want to take, take things? Well, I think the size is always an interesting question. Um, I, cause I think the big 10 is, it would have been decently positioned in eight versus 12. Like, I don't think it's, it's, it's that different. Like, I think we understand why the sec supported a model with the most possible at large spots. I think the big 10 would benefit from that as well. They're, they've, they've had a lot of teams, particularly in the five to eight range during the playoff era. Um, I mean, I, pretty sure Michigan would have made the playoff what like at least like three times in you know in, in a larger format yeah during, um, during the good spot year for sure yeah yeah exactly they were, they were very close yeah um so I think I think that you know in general um it's it's certainly not been like the ACC where you've had some of the most prominent coaches in that conference come out and say they're against it and that they are concerned about the wear and tear or in Dabo's stance that like you know maybe there aren't that many good teams, um, which, which, which like I know got taken out of context, but I, I understand his point there that we still might have the same teams win this thing, which has never really been what playoff expansion is necessarily about. It's about access and it's about engagement. Um, so I, I think the big 10 would, would benefit. I think that it makes total sense. I think the big 10 is of the opinion that, um, you know, this needs to go to an open market. I mean, this is a league that has really strong relationships with Fox. And so I don't think it's an accident that you've had George Klyovkov, the new Pac-12 commissioner. He's come out and said a lot of things that a lot of people have been thinking. So I, I think it's fair to project a lot of some of the things about the market on top of the Big Ten as well, which they have obviously a relationship with Fox too. I, I think they would want Fox to get involved in the bidding process. You're tripling the amount of games, uh, tripling the amount of teams involved. Um, is that tripling the amount of games? I can't do quick math, the amount of games in the playoff. But you can do different rounds, and, and it can be like the NFL playoffs where you have different media companies involved in the broadcast. Um, I think, you know, you want a bidding war. You want this to go to the open market. 
But you want other people to have a stake in this thing. And because ESPN is not your exclusive partner. So that makes sense. And I think that that is, again, when you talk about someone like Kevin Warren saying, like, we need to be methodical, we need to take time and go through a vetting process. The people who have been saying that since, you know, late June are the people who've kind of been wanting this thing to slow down and go all the way till 2026 so that they can get other media companies involved in the bidding. So I think that's been pretty transparent and it makes total sense based on the Big Ten's relationships. Um, and, And listen, Kevin Warren's also always been a player health and safety guy. So when he's saying he wants to talk to current and former players about it, Um, you know, that's someone I believe that would talk about the wear and tear. Now, do I think that someone coming from the NFL and understanding, you know, the value that is at stake here in an expanded playoff is going to say, you know, that's going to be a make or break issue or it's something we're going to work out and try to space things out and work on the schedule to make it as safe as possible, but still do it because there's going to be a lot of money at stake and it's what's best for the sport. Like, yes, I think that ultimately you get there, but I do think that, the Big Ten, and this is another way to tie the Big Ten, ACC, and Pac-12 together. None of them had representation on the working group, and all of them ha- still have thoughts about how this came out. And it's it's very hard when I think you're backed into a corner on a proposal that was really detailed and that the CFP announced to a lot of fanfare to try to give your input. Like in the past, even when this went from BCS to the CFP, like that part of the process where everybody yelled and like got their thoughts in happened a lot earlier than a formal proposal. So, so there, there's a couple different things here. Like, do I think the big 10 overall, like would be happy with expansion? Yes. Um, Do I think theoretically that they would love for this to get to an open market? Yes. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, kind of gray area there where like, I'm not entirely sure where they would argue on certain things. Well, you mentioned open market there. Nobody's going to know that market better than the Big Ten, which is their their media rights. They're going to sit down at a table with Fox and presumably ESPN as well, uh, given that they split the package very soon. Uh, you know, we're really within the, the next year and a half, we will know what, what the Big Ten has coming down the pipe in terms of media rights. What is the expectation within the league in terms of the future? We know they're going to get a lot more money. We, we all know that. But beyond that, what what is kind of the future of these Big Ten media rights that, that are coming to the table? Well, I, that, I mean, that's the, 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 I was going to say million dollars, but we're talking about, we're talking about a million dollars. dollars. Yeah. We're talking about a lot of money here. We're talking Rutgers money here. This is, this This is, this is why you go into New Jersey where all good things happen. And I mean that because this is the greatest state in the union. Um, We'll come, we'll come back to that one in a little bit. All right. We'll come come back to that. that. I just, I always got to get that in there. So, (laughs) so I, you know, listen, it's, it's been I, it's not my wheelhouse to do, you know, like TV, um, media rights, money estimates and talk to people about that yet. However, um, I do think, you know, it was smart to of Jim Delaney to renegotiate for the period of time that he did at the time. Um, we're, you know, I think we're all seeing what the ACC did to themselves to lock themselves into a long-term deal where they're about to get leapfrogged by like everybody else, even the PAC 12, um, in terms of distributions, because it was such a long-term deal. So I think that's got to be something you've got to take into consideration too, if you're the big 10. I mean, obviously this is kind of like a, you know, we talk about the power five, it's kind of the big two in terms of the big 10 and SEC in terms of the money they command and the brands that they have. Um, But I, you know, I I think you've got to be smart. I think you, um, I, I guess there's two ways of thinking. I'd be curious your guys' thoughts on this. If, if you still try to have multiple 
meteorites partners? Um, or do you go all in on Fox and kind of like wage war against ESPN, considering like they're all in on the SEC? I don't know. I mean, like you could you could talk me into either of those things. But, um, you know, I think they've always been really smart about the way that they've structured their deals. Um, I think the length of the deal will be really important about again with this, because I think we're in this era of streaming. And a lot of people are thinking about, especially as we talk about realignment, when you add teams, you you need to add people that you think people are willing to pay for. Because, you know, we're talking about like an ESPN plus package, an SEC plus package. Um, It's not necessarily about getting into New Jersey to get um, as part of the cable bundle in all the New York City area TVs anymore, right? Like it's a very different way of thinking. So I I think you need to be nimble because if you, you know, do a shorter deal here, maybe that Amazon and Netflix and all these places like want to get into live sports in the next round of negotiations or something like that. So I think you need to be pretty nimble about that. And and um, I think look at what the ACC did as a major warning sign. Or, or for that matter, the American, which I, I shocked a lot of industry observers by going as long as it did because they wanted to get the big number there in the headline. But you're looking at some of the leagues that have been doing deals most recently, the Big Sky, the WAC is about to do one, a couple other you know, mid-majors. They're two, three, four years. Uh, I think that's kind of what I would be expecting from maybe not two, but but not not 10, certainly for whatever the next Big Ten deal might might do. I, I want to steer us maybe in a slightly different direction because we've been talking an awful lot about the administrative side, which makes sense given, given this podcast. But I want to talk a little bit about the actual honest-to-God football season because if I'm trying to be as objective as possible as a, as a son of Columbus, I'm looking at this Ohio State roster, and I think that there are some honest-to-God question marks, particularly with the defensive backfield, particularly at quarterback, maybe, maybe running backs a little bit unsettled. But then when I look at all of the other teams that would historically be in that conversation, and I see even bigger questions. Is there a reason for anybody to like realistically think that somebody other than Ohio State wins this league this year? No. That's what I thought. Okay. That is a And uh, if yeah. that jinxes it, then I'm sorry. But like I, you know, it's it's one of those things we just filed like a Big Ten roundtable preview thing. And I basically said the same thing I always say about Alabama is like I'll get into this point in the preseason sometimes where you want to talk yourself into picking somebody else just to be different. Yeah. But but then you can't because until that team gets dethroned or gives you a real reason to be concerned, like why wouldn't we think that CJ Stroud or whoever is going to be a quarterback is going to be just fine in Ryan Day's offense? It's thrown to two of the best wide receivers in the country, and he was like, what, the number three or number four quarterback in his class? Like, the, the, Yeah, the, literally, the literally. There. Yeah, okay, we can say it's a question mark because, you know, you, the lack of college reps in the quarterback room. But, like, I think that some of these things are going to work themselves out, and I also do think Chris Olave will be the best receiver in the country, putting that out there for when I am initially, eventually proven correct. Um, so, yeah, so, like – it's it's Ooh, funny. I was going out on, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, with league and Chris Olave is really good. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, again, Folks, this is these hot takes. You heard it here. Going for two. Yeah. Um. So 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 yeah. I mean, again, I'm a Michigan grad. There's plenty of questions at Michigan. Penn State came on, looked pretty good in the back half of the season. We all love Indiana. They're a very lovable program, lovable coach. Michael Penix Jr. needs to stay healthy. Wisconsin's Wisconsin like it but you know what it what what gives you reason to think that Ohio State's not gonna be Ohio State that's the problem even if there's flashes from other people that's I mean we that, yeah you know I mean it, w- would we love to see Indiana win the Big Ten yes would that be an amazing story yes 
I would be very angry about that for maybe 11 minutes. But if Indiana was the team that broke that ended up breaking the streak, I would be very happy for them. It's just like who's played Ohio State better than Indiana overall recently? Listen, like it's been it's been excruciating, and and (laughs) part of this is because there's this whole weight of historical like inertia behind it. I cannot remember a time in my life when Indiana has won that football game. I think I, I think the last time it happened, I might have been five. And and I get it. I know it happened in like you know it happened when I was born. I'm born in '87. I think they won '87 and '88, right? So this is it does not compute. It was like the time when Northwestern finally beat Ohio State. Even if that only happens once every 40 years, it is excruciating when it happens. I bet if you talk to a Florida fan when they finally lost to Kentucky, I bet I bet that sucked. Now if they win the Big Ten and we get a bunch of uh, adorable uh, and comfortable T-shirts out of it. I won't be angry for a long time. I'll certainly be less angry if Michigan does it, but the, the gap there does seem pretty big. Now, like I can think of lots of reasons to be emotionally invested in lots of these other football teams. There's things I'm, I'm, I'm curious about and interested in, especially because I don't know about you, Nicole and Brian, but like, I felt like I couldn't really take a whole lot away from the film from last year. Um, and so some of these teams are still kind of an unknown quantity, but I'm pretty sure I know who's going to actually win the league, even if they don't finish undefeated. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also don't have that much to take away from last season. I remain, I just want to put this out there, remain shocked at how many people lost their jobs in a very weird, basically exhibition year. Um, I also did a state of the program on a Pac-12 team that played four games, which also does not feel like it counts at all for a season. I feel like everyone who was a first-year coach last year is basically in year one now, even though they won't claim that. Like, it's really, really hard to extrapolate anything except, again, our favorite, maybe not your favorite, our favorite Indiana Hoosiers, who actually Our did break through. They broke through something. Um, but, like, it's really hard to even take a lot away from, again, I know Penn State and Michigan were down and Michigan looks very disinterested in the season. It, it, it's going to be... I would not be shocked if it looks like a totally different team. I mean, it was just such a weird circumstance that everyone went through and some of them handled it a little bit better than others, but no one enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't really enjoy watching it. I think I, I think I I wrote this, but you know, as let's talk about Michigan then real quick, right? Cause this, this is the question I get asked on every single national radio show. And my answer is probably why I don't get booked on very many of these anymore. Cause I'm like, I think, I think they're probably fine. Like I look at them and think, okay, well you had a quarterback that played well at times. And if he doesn't play well, you have a five-star all everything recruit. You have a completely new uh, coaching personnel uh, all over the field. I, I, I know there's a, there's a talent gap question on the defense, but like no one's expecting this team to be like capital B bad this year. Right? Like worst case is probably still seven, eight wins and probably better than that. So what's weird about Michigan not being ranked in the preseason polls is even a fairly mediocre Michigan team is usually still one of the best 25 teams in the country. And and this is coming from someone who like went to Michigan, their first game was App State and survived the three years of Rich Rod. So it was actually the worst four year stretch of Michigan football history. So like the three and nine season, like actual bad football and actually a lot of losses. Um, So I weirdly enough kind of think they can be a little bit of a dark horse just because they're not ranked and people are so out on Harbaugh where he did overhaul the entire staff. Um, They are a lot younger. Maybe that makes a difference. They need to do something different, but really the biggest concerns have been play calling and missing on quarterbacks. And if, if you can figure that out, if you can have a reliable offensive line, 
um, they do have the talent all over the field. So, so I'm, I'm super curious and I still, I will stand by this take too. I think in a different era of Ohio state football, not when they just reload and are kind of yeah. like death star Ohio state. Um, and that there's literally only Clemson and Alabama really at that level, Michigan wins some of these games. Like Harbaugh beats Ohio state at least once in his tenure so far. And we aren't really having this conversation the same way that we are right now. Um, but I, I, I just, that gap for Ohio state and the rest of the league is with everyone. We have the same exact conversations when Penn state loses to Ohio state as well. Well, I think the difference though with Penn state is they've actually won the league and, and that is the, the difference with Michigan, right. but I'm curious as, as somebody who went to Michigan, what does Michigan football want to be not only just in this kind of Jim Harbaugh era and the hot seat that he's kind of on going into a, a really make or break 2021. But what does Michigan football, it seems like there's been some conflict over what the program ultimately wants to be and what it wants to strive for. What is that in 22 and beyond? Well, that's the most interesting question that I think you can ask about a lot of these programs right now. Um, I, <laughs> I like literally, isn't that yeah. really similar to to what we want to talk about about like a Notre Dame, um, Nebraska, which in a different in a totally different way, right? Texas, like these are all it's questions of how you view yourself in the in the college football landscape and what's realistic. Like what's happened in like the population shift in Michigan and Ohio has impacted Michigan football, right? Like there has been like these these things that are outside of like the world that we are mostly in that help explain some of this stuff as recruiting has gone national, as, um, you know, Urban Meyer changed the way that, you know, Big Ten programs recruited and the strength and conditioning and different programs and things. Like we can have the same conversation about Wisconsin and Iowa and the type of players that they recruit. Like what is their ceiling? They're not going to, are they going to be able to ever compete for a national championship in this era of football? Um, and so, it, it, you know, I think Michigan's goals are always to be in the Big Ten championship game, which would then put you in the national championship race. Um, the problem is Ohio State in your own division. And there are, again, like Oklahoma hasn't won a playoff game. So I don't even really put them in that same category. Yes, they reload. Yes, they recruit super well. They have Heisman quarterbacks. But there's three programs that are doing it at a level where there's a huge gap behind them. For everyone else. And we think Georgia is right there, too. We think Georgia is going to be in that group. Um, but, you know, I think that's what makes it really hard for Michigan when the team you measure yourself against is the team that blocks you from Big Ten championship games and the college football playoff. So that's, again, where, like, if you have an expanded playoff, there is a path and that changes the goals and the expectations, I think, for Michigan football in a way that is not so just fully excruciating, where the last few years, even when you think you have a good team and you're a Michigan fan, you are just painfully circling that Ohio State game. Even when you feel kind of good about it, you never feel good about it. And then the way that those games have gone and been so lopsided, it's such a reality check. And like when I was a student and in general, you know, you you'd obviously want to beat Ohio State. But it mattered if you beat Michigan State and you beat Notre Dame, right? Like if you went two out of three, it was a really good year. It doesn't feel that way, even though you've had Notre Dame be a playoff team in this era um, and there's been some exciting finishes against those teams. It just it's it's so all or nothing with Ohio State because of how lopsided it's been dating back 
pre-Harbaugh, but also just like as the measuring stick in the sport and the way that, and again, I keep thinking of Penn State too, because in the wake of these games, you're, you're like, oh my God, like there's such a gap, right? It's like the talent gap is there's talent on these other rosters, but it's not everywhere like it is at Ohio State. They're just so much faster and stronger and speedier, and they're making better play calls. And, you know, they, their offense is, um, you know, just a little bit better in space. And they're doing this and they're doing that, and they just don't miss on quarterbacks. And, like, all of these other pieces that I think make it just so much more excruciating. So you have a fan base that is just uncomfortable right now and also understands that they got the white whale, they got the coach that they wanted, after, you know, they dreamed about getting him, they got him. And now it's just deeply uncomfortable. And you obviously had him take a significant pay cut um, and retool the whole staff. And so you're, you, he did what he can do, but it's just an uncomfortable relationship when it's the coach that you wanted, who is a Michigan man and things aren't going the way that you wanted them to. And they're, they're not going bad. They're just not going great. It's Michigan purgatory. And, and I have to admit like a couple of years ago, this filled me with delight to, to continue to poke at this, right? Because it isn't just that you're getting dunked on by your rival. You're getting like, your rival is beating you in a way that makes you question yourself existentially because you have hired the ID of the Michigan man who personifies, I would, you know, I would say both everything good and everything worth making fun of about your identity. And you're getting put into a garbage can. Like I, I, to, to put this another way, if Ohio State had a coach that. Um, whose blood was basically replaced with monster energy drink and, and, and talked like Woody Hayes and never wore a coat and was just like this personification of like 1961 masculinity and was being destroyed by a guy in a sweater vest or, or like who likes to talk about like World War II history and people who had three sevens on their, on their, their GPAs, Ohio State would, 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 would not just be upset, it, it would cause – like spiritual crises. It would be like people finding out that God isn't real. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good way to put it because it's the way that the games have gone because you could feel pretty good about the rest of the season and then yeah. just as if you have no faith in anything, like the entire roster and the entire coaching staff because it falls apart so quickly or so lopsidedly and you're like, oh my God, this is the one thing that we measure ourselves against and we can't do it. And yes, it. I, I think, you know, there was there was so much excitement. And this is what was so fascinating. Obviously, that hire, Scott Frost in Nebraska and Tom Herman at Texas all kind of got grouped in together as we were talking about the hot seat last year. But Scott Frost in Nebraska is the better comparison because it's the guy. You got the yeah. guy. The, the prodigal the son. The Nebraska guy. The guy. And it's so uncomfortable when they aren't winning to the level. And you were sure it was a can't miss. Like you were sure it was yeah. going to work. Because you can't like, and, and again, Nebraska's got a new AD. Maybe that creates a little bit of a different circumstance. But basically, Michigan hired did what it to, could to get Harbaugh, and can't really fire him. You can't really fire him. Like if he wants to go somewhere else and massage and exit, you can do that. But it's the guy. It's one of your own. You, you yeah. can't do anything. So you just have to sit there uncomfortably and hope that the coaching staff changes or that this is the year that the quarterback hits. Like you, you there's just it's such a weird dynamic for a for a fan base. And you see it at Nebraska, too. You're reaching that level of like it's just uncomfortable because these are people who don't want to root against Scott Frost or Jim Harbaugh. Like they don't they're not comfortable with that idea. I want to talk about Nebraska for a second. 
because I think that comparison is apt in a number of different ways because it isn't just that Nebraska is struggling. We can understand reasons on paper why that might have happened. They've had multiple, they've had a lot of coaching instability, a lot of roster turnover. But when, when you think about what represents the Nebraska football ethos, when, when, when somebody who really cares about that program it isn't just winning in a, a lot of football games. It is about winning, having a, a good ground-based offense. It is about winning, including people from the state of Nebraska or including, you know, walk on or our farm kids and, and exuding toughness. And when I look at the, the, the Scott Frost era at Nebraska football right now, the defense has been a lot better than the offense. They have not produced good offensive skill position players or retained them, even when they've recruited them. And nobody has complained about everything like Nebraska, which is opening them up to make the, it's the easiest punchy bag. And I can't resist. It's fun to make fun of Nebraska on Twitter because this is the, this is the coaching staff. This was the athletic department staff, the fan base, the B core that would complain that someone's clapping too much, that, that uh, people were wearing hoodies and that, that, that they, therefore they, they weren't, they weren't tough enough about the, the dumbest things that even Michigan wouldn't do. Like, it does seem kind of uncomfortable, right? Like I don't, I don't know where you where you exit here because you can't keep trying to play the hits, but you're losing in a way that's that is uh, perhaps the most painful way to do it possible. It seems like. Yeah, and and I think um, mentioning the the complaining is is interesting because Trev Alberts, their new AD, has clearly been making a point not to make excuses for things and clearly is aware that that's been an issue. Um, it was like, you know, we want to play football. We'll do anything. Oh, but our schedule is too mean to us like that. We drew, this isn't fair. Um, and, and different things like that, that like trying to get out of the 50th anniversary game against Oklahoma, like what? This is you're supposed to want to play anyone anywhere. And like, this is what we love about college football is those games. And they actually scheduled one and you get one. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that that is, is tough because, like you said, about the identity and your place within college football, um, it's not 1999 anymore. So you can't just, you know, just have a bunch of walk ons and expect to beat other Big Ten powers. Like, it's just not going to be how that works. But that ethos is still there and you still want to, you know, think that Nebraska carries the same weight, but we're in a different era of college football and you're also in a different league where there's some strained relationships and not a lot of people were thrilled with how they acted during the pandemic, right? I mean, yes, you had other people criticizing the league and doing different things, but it, it let's be real, it's different if Ohio State says something and then Nebraska says something. And and the fact that Ohio State was able to make it to the playoff, like the Big Ten changed the rules because they knew they had a team that was good enough to compete for a national championship, that's different. And so, like, there's just – it's just – it's just a weird dynamic. And then I think, again, the identity, the level of winning, having not made a bowl game under Scott Frost, they could have really used extra practices. Like, all these things that are important for program building um, – you know, are, are just need to be there. And like you said, hitting on skill position players um, and, and just being, you know, all around better. I mean, this is a team in the West division, which they should be contending for every year. They, they recruit at a level that would, that would make you think that they were, they were capable of doing that. This is not a team that's signing classes in the sixties. They're still bringing in blue chip kids. 
at, at, at the same time in, in the West, I, I think maybe not the sexiest division by far. It's not the SEC West in terms of prestige or anything like that, but it is one of the more intriguing kind of divisions in college. Wait, 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 wait. You just, you just said the division that employs Brett borderline erotic Bielema as not the sexiest. And I, listen, I don't, I, those aren't the words I would use. I've, or sorry. he did it. He did it specifically. He specifically exactly. said the word "sexy." Okay. All right. Just anyway. Just anyway. Yeah. In there with Bert. We're, uh, we're not. We're not here to yuck anybody's yums. But, it, but I mean, you have Purdue. You have Jeff Brom, maybe sort of on the hot seat there. You have obviously we've talked about Nebraska, Northwestern. They they just uh, you know kind of na- announced some surprising uh, changes to their starting lineup in terms of Hunter Johnson being the starting quarterback. They obviously lost their running back for th- for the rest of the season. Uh, Minnesota to be determined. We're rowing the boat. Uh, you have Iowa, the model of consistency, and then and Wisconsin, which is kind of the overwhelming favorite to to win the division. Uh, not without questions themselves. I, I'm curious, how do you kind of view the West division? as a whole and and who do you kind of expect to kind of emerge and and shake out well i I love the west for the reasons that you just described it is it is weird um they're they're always always even in the years you know where you felt like wisconsin was a heavy favorite there was always you you felt like the teams are closer to each other um in general which can lead to more interesting games so so I, i i'm a believer in wisconsin um and graham mertz you know, taking a step, figuring out the passing game a little bit more um, that, that maybe we're used to in recent years. Um, I think Iowa has a very favorable schedule and seems to be a trendy pick. I think Purdue's got some of the best individual players in the league in, in George Karloftis and, and David Bell. I think they could be breakout guys if they don't count already as having broken out. Um, so so I always like the West. I, I, I do think Illinois is more interesting now. Um, Northwestern, very interested about the quarterback. I can't believe that Fitz announced his starting quarterback so early and that it wasn't Ryan Holinsky. I think that's really interesting. So the the West is always weird. Um, but you know, my heart is in the East because as we've, as before mentioned, Indiana and, and Tom Allen, but then also Rutgers, which ahead of schedule. I'll just yeah, say. I mean, we're we're grown up enough, I think, in this podcast to acknowledge we have a proof of concept of a competent Rutgers, right? They, they you know, Shiano yes. came in and completely revamped this roster. Was really pretty aggressive at pursuing transfers. Is it too early to talk bowl game, or I mean, if nothing else, this is the team that's not going to at least embarrass themselves this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Again, bowl game, that's really hard. I mean, if you think about just the amount of um, losses to avoid if you're Rutgers in Maryland to reach a bowl game um, and to just get to that win total, it's it's a challenge. But I do think it's working. And what's really interesting is when you had – like, I, I still think back about this when, you know, he was in conversations with Rutgers and it kind of fell apart. And you had all of these high school coaches in New Jersey be like, no, you have to hire Greg Schiano. He like, is the essential to, man. Nobody yeah, is capable of it. uniting North and South Jersey like this dude. And, and Central Jersey. And, and sure, and Central Jersey. And Central Jersey. That, that's a place. Yeah. It is a place. It is a place. It's where I'm from. It's a great place, a great portion Let's of the state. go ahead and tell your, say your exit. Just go ahead. Okay, well, so, so okay, it's 127, but you also then have to go on to um, 287 and 22 from there. So it's like still like about 40, 40 minutes because I'm inland a bit. However, um, anyway, I just really wanted to make sure that we discuss rockers on this podcast. So you guys can move on. I just wanted <laughs> no, to make no. sure that we got there. No, sure. No, let, 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 let the record state. You've been stepping out here on the absolute hottest of takes. Ohio State <laughs> going to be good. Chris Olave, pretty good. Rutgers, not abysmal. 
Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to co-sign all of those things. I, I think you're onto something there about the Central Jersey part. I don't know that 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 uh, that maybe. Have you been? To, have you been to Central Jersey? I've been to Rutgers. I've driven. It's kind of I, I presumably had to drive through Central New Jersey to get to Rutgers. Right? I was living yeah, in, I mean, I was I, in I, DC I, at the time. Yeah, I'm from like 20 minutes from Rutgers, so that's close enough. Yeah. It, it it is. I the, the Northeast is the part of the country I've been to the least, which is just weird having lived lived in DC for like six years. Well, it is also a hotbed of college football, so when I lived there true. for six years, made a lot of sense. But that is, that is true. Um, going back here to other other parts of the country that maybe we we think of a little bit more as as hotbeds of college football. It's it's, it's traditionally more of a of a rural Midwestern and, and, and Southern thing. We, we've talked a little bit about about our friends in Indiana, about some of these other big programs here in, in the in the Big Ten. I'm, I'm wondering, is there any other program that we haven't talked about that you are especially excited to, to watch? You know, normally we're, we're asking folks to talk about some of the new coaches that are coming in our new systems. We don't have that many really new, uh, that many new coaches, but given last year, almost all the systems are going to seem pretty new. Uh, is it Michigan State? Is it somebody else? What are, what are you excited to, to, to watch? Yeah, I think I, I was going to say Michigan State because, um, you know, you, you talked about Rutgers using the transfer portal. Michigan State really leaned into the transfer portal. They lost a lot of guys, but they replaced a lot of guys. And I'm just curious to see what that looks like. And and that's one of the coaches where you had a couple of moments, obviously beating Michigan. That's a big deal in year one. But like it didn't really feel like year one. I mean, I think you felt some of the cultural stuff, but. This will be our actual glimpse of, of what Michigan State is. I, I also think Penn State will be pretty interesting. Um, I think, you know, certainly curious about Sean Clifford, especially now that we learned um, that the the player who, who left, who could have been the starting quarterback, eats bananas with the peel and is now the starting quarterback at Kentucky. He looked um, – that's like, that's like what you go to the zoo and you see like yeah, a baboon so I'm do a little, that. I'm, I'm a little bummed that that is not – that he that will is not still at Penn State and that that is not what we have there. However, interested to see Clifford um, and also just Penn State coming off the back half of last season. You know, James Franklin's now been there long enough where you also still have that fan base where you're like he's they've won a lot. They've 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 been in the mix in the Big Ten. They recruit well. Um, but like it's, you know, not, I'm not going to say we're in like Mark Richt at Georgia territory, but like at some point when you're somewhere for a while, fan base gets restless, right? Like does, does James Franklin want to stay at Penn state forever? Like probably not. We've always talked about it, about USC, right? Like that would make a lot of sense. Um, so I'm just, I'm just kind of curious about all of that dynamics. And then obviously like what we see on the field, because they did look pretty good towards the end of last season. It's interesting because I think the the Big Ten might have a bigger impact on the overall playoff race nationally just because they're involved in so many of these big time non-conference games. Michigan plays Washington. We've got Ohio State, Oregon, uh, which is going to be huge for both conferences. Um, you know, Penn, you mentioned Penn State. They're playing Auburn. You have Indiana, Cincinnati, uh, Wisconsin playing Notre Dame. Which of some of those non-conference games are, are you really looking forward to now that we, number one, have them back? But number two, how, how big are they for the Big Ten in terms of that reputation beyond Ohio State especially? 
Well, first of all, some of these games are now going to be part of the Alliance, which the I think Alliance, we could just yes. call them. Um, no, but I, I think it's going to be big. I'm still actually, it's kind of still a mental adjustment to remember that these games are going to happen, that it's not only league games. Um, so like even, you know, like the Auburn Penn State game is is pretty interesting to me. And also that's going to be Penn State's whiteout game. Um, I, I think Washington as a measuring stick for Michigan is super interesting. Notre Dame seems ripe to get right in the post Ian book. They lost a ton on the offensive side. Um, so it, like theoretically it should be a pretty good non-conference season for the big 10. And we do know, and we've, we've talked about this a lot in terms of the PAC 12 over the years, but I even think back about, was it the first year of the playoff or the second year of the playoff where it was like the big 10 went over three in three monster games on the same day. And everyone wrote off the league. Was that the first year? Was that, was uh, that Ohio uh, state Virginia tech? I, yes, that, yeah, that was the year that, yeah, the Big Ten yeah. was eliminated from the college football playoff like, in like the week, week two. Three, I remember. Yeah. Yes. So so that stuff does matter. Um, and, and it definitely shifts narratives. And we do write off, we, I mean, not us three, but like we collectively write off the Pac-12 after like one loss um, and, and things like that. And that could certainly happen for Oregon this year as well. But, uh, you know, so I, I think that stuff, that stuff matters. I, I don't think it matters as much as it does for some of the other leagues whose reputations are more tattered when it comes to playoff participation. Um, but yeah, they should be massive. They should be big opportunities. And again, the way that they match up and the way that they're catching certain programs at certain times, like Auburn with a first year head coach, um, Washington with again, like a 1.5 year head coach, um, and Notre Dame posting in book and having lost some of those offensive weapons. Like it's very interesting and should be favorable to the big 10 as a whole, which again, does set a narrative, um, and which I, I think all of this is going to be really interesting in, in the context of playoff expansion. As we get, you know, towards September, there's there's going to be that meeting with the CFP, um, with the commissioners and the presidents. They were supposed to be kind of rubber stamping like a start date for an expanded playoff. And now people aren't really sure, you know, if they're going to be able to get to that point. But I just think until we get to an expanded playoff field, we're going to be talking about all of these results and conference supremacy in the sense of, okay, this is a 14 playoff. Here's what it would have looked like and would mean in a different field or whatever. So you kind of get the benefit of the doubt a little bit even more possibly if you do well in the non-conference. I'm just talking out loud now and thinking about this because I think then you'd be like, oh, well, this would have been a year you'd get like half the field into the, you know, from this conference or whatever that might look like. Um, So basically I'm excited for it. Also still can't remember sometimes that we get non-conference games. Let me let me ask you kind of get out of here on on, on this um, so get, to kind of put a bow on this whole conversation. We talked a, a bit here about <clears throat> the alliance and, and various different configurations that this conference or college football in general could look like in a couple of years. Five years from now, what do you think the Big Ten looks like? Is the membership different? Are their values different? Um, is it aligned differently with something else? Like what it what, what is the Big Ten in, I don't know, 2027? So um, I we're recording this on August 17th, 2021. So because this can change, I reserve the right to change this. Um, I don't think that they add any members in this round of realignment. I don't think that unless you go for like a West Coast block and it's like USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon or something like that. I don't know that it makes enough sense um, from a literal dollars and cents dynamic to do anything. Um, I, I think, you know, you, you're going to make a ton of money in your next round of media negotiation rights. I think they're going to support the 
expanded playoff. I think the, I think the playoff does not get here until 2026 um, in my crystal ball as of right this second. Um, I, I think the, uh, you know, I, I hope my, my main thing, and I try to push this to anyone who will listen in the league is to get rid of divisions. I don't think you should have the divisions the way that you have them. I think you do little pods, um, and schedule everybody so that you can, you know, get to every campus within four years if someone plays there, but then you have the two best teams play in the championship game that positions your second best team better for the playoff in general as well. Um, I also think that that helps places like a Rutgers, like a Maryland, like an Indiana who are in a really challenging division. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't see, I think of all the leagues right now that, you know, need to do something. I don't think the big 10 needs to expand or needs to rush anything. They think they're in a good place. You know, if the sec in two years tries to go after Clemson and Florida state or something and continues to add, maybe that conversation is different, but I think that Michigan and Ohio state being the big dogs in their own league is still valuable. They still run that, you know, that it goes through Columbus. The, the, these leagues carry immense power. The people in these places have, you know, collegial relationships and respect. And this, this is a league that, um, you know, is really prosperous and succeeds and, and has a lot of like-minded schools. So I don't really see an impetus to have to change that. But again, you have a new commissioner, um, someone who was embattled in their first year, and maybe they feel like they need to make some big moves. But I also do think that, you know, some sort of alliance, some sort of alignment um, and and being consistent on policies and some of these major things as they move forward can still position the Big Ten to be a leading voice. I, I, I think it's about checks and balances in this in this era. I, you know, I used that phrase earlier, but that's really what the power conferences need, I think, because you do have competing interests. In, on different campuses, you have competing interests in different parts of the country, in, in different sports and different, you know, different things that people want to protect. And I, I think you need that to balance it out in no matter what form of governance ends up taking place, you know, two, three, four or five years from now. Nicole, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, and I think this is this is a uh, it's, 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 it's been illuminating. I'm, I am was not super excited to head into next season because I felt like there was a chance that everything was going to get wiped away from a week to week basis. We never got to see anybody's best. I'm cautiously optimistic. We'll see more of teams best this year. And there's a lot to, to, uh, to watch both on the field and in Rosemont uh, for this league, which is one one of the more interesting ones Um, on the off chance that somebody listening to the show doesn't know where to find you, which I, I think would be unlikely, but in case that in case they don't, where can they find the stuff that you're producing right now? Uh, so I'm writing for The Athletic. You can find links to things on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. I also do radio for SiriusXM, and I will be on Mondays on the Big Ten Network for the fall, for the season. And chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you get BTN um, somewhere on your TV. And maybe you're in New Jersey, the greatest state in the union. Uh, look, New Jersey gave us a lot of important things. I am a sports writer, so I, I have to acknowledge that they gave us Bruce Springsteen, who who I adore. Uh, they gave us sandwiches that basically have other sandwiches on the inside of them, yes, um, which are a, a staple of every major state university. This is a positive thing. Um, Brian, what am I forgetting? What else? What else did New Jersey give us? The shore. 
I've never actually been to the shore. Okay, well then. They give sure, yeah. show the shore though. I, yeah, uh, sure, yeah, sure. Okay, I still watch that. They still make they still yeah, have new it, seasons. It, family it gave vacation. Us people with with gold chains and t-shirts, right? That's 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 an important contribution. GTL. GTL is an important. The Sopranos. Okay. All right. I mean, like, listen. I'm I, I'm not one to talk. I'm from Ohio, which is not objectively not a good state. Oh wait, we also forgot the first college football game, the birthplace. Okay. All right. The, the, <laughs> That wasn't a football game. That was violent <laughs> soccer. Listen, it counts. It counts. Um, fine. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of important scandals related to college athletics happened in New Jersey. Um, it, 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 it's fine. New Jersey, like most places in this country, it's fine. Uh, that's 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 my sign off there. <laughs> Nicole, well, yeah. Go ahead. Thanks for having me and letting me, um, you know, put my pro Central Jersey propaganda out there. It's one of the most important things to me. So thank you. And um, Chris Olave is definitely going to be one of the best players in the country. And this is quite a hot take. Okay. <laughs> thank you very much. If you are a South Jersey supremacist, you can, uh, you can at Nicole um, and, and slander her beloved home county? County. No, uh, like home, home region. Exit. Region. Exit. Okay. It's a region. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Nicole. Apologies to all of our listeners there who were subjected to way more conversation about the state of New Jersey than they initially signed up for on this program. Sometimes you just can't control your guests. Um, I mean, I feel like I was proud of myself because I did not interject as as a Texas native uh, when when it comes to state superiority. But uh, <laughs> I, I just let it go. I, I like uh, Nicole, a good friend and and uh, fellow colleague. So it's like I, I'm not going to push back too much on, on the Jersey thing. So is there is there an explicit Texas New Jersey rivalry, or is Texas just like everyone that's not Texas sucks? It's definitely if if there's any rivalry from that part of the country, it's definitely New York. But uh, that's that's more some some animosity more than anything else. Definitely not Jersey. I don't think that's uh, on the radar of most Texans. That's, I don't know. I don't know if anybody has a like a true rivalry with New Jersey except for like maybe people who live in Philadelphia. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't. I don't know. You know. You know who doesn't have a rivalry with New Jersey is anybody in college football. Um, even though Rutgers very passionately thinks that they have their rivals with Penn State, and, and hey, maybe this year maybe they catch them. That would uh, that would definitely cause some existential crisis, I think, within the Penn State community. Uh, that would that would definitely be the truth there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, this it's a, it's just all a fascinating conversation, and it, it's it's interesting thinking about this league because I think there really are some pretty big gaps between the public understanding, not just of what happened last year, but what's happening kind of behind the scenes now, and what's actually happening. Especially because I think the loudest voices collectively within the Big Ten community are centered within Ohio State and Nebraska, uh, places that are, are aggravated towards uh, central leadership right now. I'm, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that everything Kevin Warren did or does is great or everything that the other Big Ten presidents does is, is, is good or great either. Um, but that might lead to some kind of distortions here. I don't, I don't think anyone is like out the door, but if this is a really rocky year or if this alliance crumbles or something, then um, there's going to be some very pointed questions pointed towards Rosemont and not just about the parking of the Brazilian steakhouse. Well, I mean, I think it is such a fascinating league, mostly because, you know, Jim Delaney's not there, you know, and I think it would have been interesting to go through the thought exercise of, of what does the Big Ten do if, if Jim Delaney is in charge, but he's he's not. And and Kevin Warren has that 
kind of air of unpredictability because we just don't have a, uh, you know, lengthy, uh, you know, history in, in terms of what he's been able to do. And he's, he's kind of been thrown into the fire from, from the very get go uh, in his tenure to, to deal with so many different things. And I think how he kind of comes out of that the other side is, is, is a larger storyline for college football. You have a lot of Big Ten presidents that, let's face it, they, they carry a lot of weight in terms of not only the athletic side of things, but also on the academic side. You're talking about some of the biggest universities in the, in the country. That, that are a, a true powerhouse, not just in terms of the athletics, but uh, the academics as well. So I, I think the Big Ten is just such a fascinating conference. And, and I think you kind of got that uh, from the conversation we just had with Nicole, that that applies both on and off the field. It's all it's all it's all true. It's 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 all it's all true. I um, I, I the one saving grace, I think, to all of this, I guess, is there's going to be some really fun out of conference games. Um, that whatever kind of narrative that, that you want to take from this, you're going to get a potential college football playoff preview. You get an SEC team coming up north, which doesn't happen very often, and they're coming to the the most intimidating place maybe to play in the in the entire entire league. Um, you're going to see an almost um, not quite an existential crisis like bowl game between Michigan and Wisconsin. I mean, Michigan and Washington, excuse me. But whatever team loses that game is is not going to be feeling very good about themselves or the direction of their program. Um, Indiana is fun. Like I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. I've watched a lot of really bad Big Ten football in September. I don't think that's going to be the case this coming year. Um, we are going to continue our conference preview series next week. We've got two left. We recorded an episode with our buddy Chris Vanini to break down some of the G5. We're going to talk about the Big 12, which is the million-dollar question that everyone wants to talk about right now, and not just because we're not sure West Virginia is going to look like on the field. We've got a couple of other big episodes and a bunch of other fun stuff happening here on Extra Points. Um, so I would encourage you to make sure you're hitting that subscribe button. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. Maybe click on the five-star button or say something nice on one of those review uh, algorithm doohickeys so more people can find this show. And we'll be in touch with you next week. Brian, where can people find you? As always on Twitter, Brian D. Fisher, B-R-Y-A-N-D-F-I-S-C-H-E-R. Plenty happening, so uh, follow follow me on Twitter, and that's the, that's the best place to find all my links and stuff. You can find me at Matt Brown EP on Twitter. I'm Extra Points MB on Instagram and www.extrapointsmb.com is the newsletter. Everyone, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week. Bye.